It's another morning here in South Africa or wherever you are around the world. It's now afternoon over in Tokyo and our SA women have completed their 2021 Olympic experience. It was an interesting end-to-end game. India landed the first punch, South Africa landed it back and to and fro they went. 4-3, the Indians ultimately victorious in a... uh, much more entertaining game and a game that gave South Africans some moments for great cheer and some great competition. Of course, to talk about this with me is uh, a couple of Olympians. You know her well enough by now. Um, she's part of the furniture now. She's uh, getting, uh, she's the most capped, so we might as well make her the most capped here too. It is <laughs> Marsha Cox. And uh, joining her is uh, Steve Evans. And both of them, if you're only listening to the audio, both of them are looking splendid in their Athens regalia. It is proper, proper, proudly South African. Um, and I'm wearing a Bafana Bafana jacket because I was cold. So, um, yeah, guys, welcome. And yeah, what a, what a morning. Before we dive in, I actually managed to get um, a little clip from Erin Christie, the captain. Um Straight after the game, let's hear what she had to say. Um, yes, no, definitely. I think uh, this is the end of our Olympic journey, and obviously there is a lot of emotions that uh, come with that. Um, it's been it's been a, a great journey and something that we've worked together uh, towards for years and years, and for it to finally come to an end will obviously be emotional. Um, of course, it would have been a little bit sweeter if we did end it with that win, um, but unfortunately, uh, we, we, that wasn't possible. And congratulations to India, and we wish them all the best for the rest of the tournament. Yes, definitely. I think uh, the biggest thing about the South African hockey teams, both the men and the women's team, is our lack of international competition uh, on any normal year, let alone a year uh, impacted by COVID-19. Um, so for us, it really is just that international competition that we lack. I think the talent's there, but if, we, if we're not competing against the best on, the, on a regular basis, it's difficult for us to come into a tournament and uh, be expected to, to take on the best in the world. So um, obviously, as, as the tournament went, went on, we were happy with the growth that we that we made as a team um, but it's unfortunate that now it stops here and the question is what's next so I think obviously um, this this momentum we're hoping to continue into the World Cup and Commonwealth Games next year um, for us we're going to obviously look to get a lot more international competition between now and then uh, Yes, it, it will be sad to say goodbye to, to a couple of players who this will be the end of their career, but we have really got a huge pool of talent in South Africa. And, and as I mentioned earlier, talent has never been, been the problem. It's always been that international competition and being able to spend more and more time together. So we have to be creative in our preparation and make sure that we can be as professional as possible. Uh, hi, it's Nick Spooner here. Thanks for listening to Talking Tokyo on Hockey the Podcast. All right, so we heard there from Erin. <clears throat> let's let's talk about today's game. Before we talk about some of the things she necessarily said there, uh, 4-3 was the score. Uh, Steve, we'll bring you in here first. Overall, your uh, your take on today's game compared specifically to the previous ones. Sure, Ty. Um, yeah, no, I think definitely one of, the, one of their better performances, um, albeit against probably a, a team that's slightly closer, closer matched uh, in terms of uh, rankings and, uh, and ability. Um, I think what was, what was encouraging was the, was the grit and determination. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, you, you don't have to always win pretty. 
uh, you, you have to kind of you have to scratch and bite to to get that result. It was a it was a pity that we that we weren't able uh, you know, to to get a result there. But uh, but in terms of uh, in terms of you know the, the fight and the determination and making use of opportunities because opportunities at this level are few and far between. Um, and I think the men have showed that too. Is uh, we we've got to create opportunities and we've got to bury opportunities. And I think you know we can't fault them on the on the bearing of opportunities. Yeah, it was clear today. I don't know, Marsha, if you if you maybe saw this, but to me, I felt like there was a better energy in the team today. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't think of another way to say it, but energy. Um, yeah, definitely. There was more energy, but there was also more intense in everything that we did. You know, like I think that every, everybody probably had the realization that there is something to play for, but at the same time, this is also potentially our last game of this of this event. And uh, when will we ever be in Tokyo for an Olympic Games again in our lifetime? Probably never, you know? So um, it, it re- definitely looked like um, there was a change in gear for our women's team. And yeah, it's a bit sad that they couldn't reward themselves, even at least with the, with the draw. Um, you know that India is a tough opposition and... Uh, they equally had something to play for, um, but it would have been nice to to indeed see them at least get a little reward for for that uh, change of pace, uh, so to say. Yeah, look, I mean, we definitely scored some interesting goals. Uh, we we got the goal through Erin, um, which showed a variation on a penalty corner. We got Murray Zins, which showed just a, a great bit of. Uh, determination and heart um and we got the other goal oh taryn glasby getting the little the little touch i mean and those those goals three very different goals um but the type of goals that can come up were you a bit disappointed with our uh, utilization of the penalty corners yeah, Jobs. I think yeah, yeah. I, I always say, um, you know, this was this was one of the things that I think got uh, got brought home um, in my in my in, or in our era. Both of us played under Giles Bonnet, but yeah. um, Giles always was very systematic about breaking up the game um, into you know what you're doing offensively, what you're doing defensively, and then your your corners. And your corners are a game within a game. So so he used to just spend. Um, all this preparation time going, I mean, I think actually in, 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 well, I worked it out in, in the year that's uh, in the, in the run up to, to Athens, we are stopping corners for, for beefy nickel. Um, I reckon I stopped between um, eight and a half and 10,000 uh, balls for him to flick into the goals. And, and it's, the, it's that type of um, preparation that, uh, you know, that, that you need, but it wasn't only for BP to flick into the goals. It was also, you know, of that, like all those different um, variations that we that that you would practice, um, and that you 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 would be called on um, at a at a big tournament in a moment to to execute on, um, and and I think uh, you know probably both teams um, we 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 probably want to go back and we want to relook at um, at how we utilized our corners because there sort of seems to be a bit of a South African mentality of like okay I can flick off the top so. You know, every time there's an expectation that it's just going to be, okay, guys, Brown's going to stick it in this time or whoever's, whoever's ever on the top is going to, you know, stick up their hand and, 
and uh, and make make that call. I think what you're saying, Steve, is is really important in terms of uh, like going back and learning from it, because um, just looking at the tournament as a whole as well. Uh, the Dutch men and women have not been really uh, successful in their PC attack either. But from just my experience of knowing a little bit more of what they do, um, I know that, for example, in London, uh, Powman didn't score a single PC goal during the pool stages of the event. And straight after the pool stages, they it was an advantage of being in London, but they flew in the um, drag flag coach and she had a just a session with him where she could fine tune she could get her mental preparation that she needed and then she scored in the crucial games and the final being one of them you know um so i think it's it's not just about um knowing and identifying and having that awareness but what are we going to do with that awareness so we can learn from from your experience of how much time and effort did you put into the PC attack um, for, for Athens? And can we equate it to the level of play that is required from the players now? And if so, does it mean that they've got to do 15,000? Yeah, you know, and, and, how, and how can we action that? Um, and with the, with the PCs, while we're talking about it, on the flip side, I'm naturally more defensive thinking and our PC defense for both the men and women, we know that there are areas of improvement. And that's where we spoke about AD earlier, um, AD Carolyn, and particularly against India, how we qualified for London was spending hours and hours and hours on that Indian PC attack. And I, I even messaged somebody during this game saying, this Indian game saying, the Indian PC attack is your worst nightmare. You know, they send in deflectors, uh, they send three in from their attacking left. So which one do you choose? You've got one defender on that side, which one are you gonna choose? So you've got to overanalyze to, to pick up any little sign of a, like a hint from a player who's getting too excited or too nervous that's gonna give it away that the, it's going to them and, and you've got to pick maybe that one. And and But I thought that, you know, that is probably the area that led us down today was uh, the PC defense. But we also got to give it to India. That is their strength. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, talk, talking about uh, um, a game within a game, I think we have to have the same mindset as we do offensively in developing specialists uh, for, our, for our defense, right? Um, and so if you are a right-hand um uh, third wave or second wave, uh, whichever way you want to call it, you know, what, what do you have to do within that role? You know, are you clearing pads? Are you, you watching those deflectors? And, and, it, and as you start to develop up these specialist skills and this, this combination, like it, it is, it's a team within a team and that team is, is going to execute, you know, when they execute, you win games, you know? And I think, and, and for all the kids that are like listening to, to this podcast, you know, what are you doing in your in your spare time, you know, um, working with your coaches or even just with your mates on becoming a specialist, whether that be, uh, or I know we all want to be drag flickers, but the reality is we're not all sort of going to be, <laughs> you know, um, the best drag flicker in the world. But that doesn't mean that you can't inject. It doesn't mean that you yeah. can't deflect on the far post. It doesn't mean that you can't be a, an, an, an exceptional first wave runner. 
and uh, yeah, I, I think uh, I think there's a lot of a lot of work to do um, on that specific area within the game. Well, I, I also felt and and Marsh, you kind of raised it there. But if you look at the stats coming into today, India had zero from 24 penalty corners in this tournament, which to me means either they are very poor at execution or they are a team that you can analyze and, and predict. And the fact is they scored three PCs against us today and it was the same player that scored all three. Um, so, you know, make the make the mistake but learn from the mistake or... Is and and I'm not, you know, the plan is not uh, the the goal of the objective is not to throw shade at stuff, but it feels to me that there was potentially an area of analysis that we we didn't focus on enough there. Well, I, Tone, I can't tell you whether we did or we didn't, and I don't think it would be fair for us as the couch coaches to to make that uh, make that call. I think that. Uh, we just have to also give the credit to India. That That is a strength of theirs, whether it's that they found a weakness of ours or and changed it up for today. Um, I We can't, I don't think it would be fair to anybody to uh, spend too much time on that. Uh, but I do think that, you know, uh, in the moment, it's also one thing that we also have to acknowledge is that in the moment, it's very difficult to um, to coach that if you're not if you don't have the uh, equipment and the sort of the environment too. So we can ask questions like, are we analyzing the PC straight afterwards with somebody on a laptop uh, in the on the bench? Because that's that is the only way that you can facilitate making changes in the game when it comes to these these types of moments. The only other way that you, you potentially can make a change is that poor defender who's there goes, right, I have three players coming at me. First corner, it went to that one and she scored. Second corner, I'm gonna go there then. And so that you see her making an individual decision on the field of, I'm kind of at a hiding to nothing here. I'm gonna try my best and do, do something different every time. That's probably the only thing that you could uh, say can potentially happen but you can't I don't think it would be fair to anybody the players or the staff or anybody to to say that we we maybe didn't analyze enough because we went there we don't know how much time they actually spent on the analysis of of Indian PC attack and in, and in fairness all three um she didn't deflect from the same spot she moved around one from the left one from just in front one from the right yeah. so uh it was pretty good um execution what i did like though is even though they scored i mean they scored first in all four quarters uh what we've seen unfortunately earlier in the tournament is once we conceded a goal or specifically when we conceded a goal to go behind the body language dropped um almost like a belief that we couldn't get there and i can't talk about that because i i did uh a whole bunch of speciality courses in reading body language back in my previous uh, employer and teaching people body language for interviews. And it was very clear that the body language dropped and that belief wasn't clear. But today, when they went behind at no point did it look like we had said, right, game over. We've lost this game. Um, you know, we, we looked like we were still in it. And so it happened. Equalized in the first chakra, second chakra, third chakra. I'm still not sure why we didn't get that penalty corner at the end of the fourth chucker that was, was reversed. They said there was a foot. Uh, 
I, I think they said it was a stick check, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah it was yeah. a stick yeah. check she, she, from she the attacker. And then yeah. she checked the stick yeah. check, and then I, I heard the, the video referral, which is also not uh, done itself mm-hmm. glory in Tokyo. But, um, yeah, I, I just it didn't look like it was anything other than a penalty corner at the point. Um, so, you know, these things happen. You, your game is not decided by a result like that. But it showed that we had the fight. Um, we we were there. We were competitive. And throughout Talking Tokyo here on Hockey the Podcast, that's what we asked for. That's what got the excitement going about the men was the never-say-die attitude. The, you know, getting nine goals from Belgium, but still having a go at them. And we finally saw that today. Aaron said in her interview there that, uh, you know, the biggest problem is the lack of action. Um, and are we seeing now that they're starting to click slowly but surely because they're now starting to have time together? Um, and, and does that give you a warm, fuzzy feeling that the next 12 months could be positive if they spend more time on a pitch together? I would say definitely, um, Judge. I think... Uh... You know, if you if you have the luxury of a of a of an international program, so to speak, uh, that is consistent, like the Dutch do or the Aussies or any of the top nations, um, they know exactly what tournaments are coming, when they're coming, um, how many trainings a week they're going to be getting in, um, how many they have to do on their own. You know, uh, it's it's very systematic. It's it, it's very um, it's, the program is 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 set sort of two to three years in advance. Obviously, now COVID would have thrown a few. A few spanners into the works there. Um, on the flip side, um, you know, we don't know when that next uh, series is going to come. Um, you know, it's funding dependent. We don't know what the story is, and so you start to to have a little bit of a of a fragmented um, a, a approach. So players making decisions to go. Well, look, I want to be. I want to. I want to live, and I want to play in an environment where I can improve and get better. So I'm going to go to Europe. Um, and we were having obviously this conversation. Um, you know, with on the group uh, last night, just uh, just talking about ideas on 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 how on how to manage um, you know the, the exposure of our top players to 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 those environments to international competition more regularly. Um, so go and play it play it overseas, but it, but it does require um, some some conversations around um, how you how you manage those players in that environment. I, I think in my own personal context. Uh, what was what was very interesting because I um, under Paul Revington um, I was I was flying backwards and forwards between uh, Europe and and South Africa. Um, in those days, you used to have to have a job, so I used to engineer by day, play hockey by night, and then uh, fly back every six months to 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 live and play hockey in South Africa. But um, one of the interesting things with with Paul is uh, at a time I was based in in Germany, um, and so he was engaging with my club coach every every week is asking me to send back uh, training drills is asking me to uh, to drive through to uh, to, to Amsterdam and, and watch uh, the European championships and take notes he was asking me for specific insights and Intel on on the German uh, on the German uh, key German players that we knew that we we're going to come up against and I think and I think that you know if you, you can you can look at it, you can look at the pros and cons of having our top players going playing in Europe and then you can go right. Which way do we want to play this? You know, if we want to, if we want to, if we want that to add value to our program, then work with those players to get the information that you want. If you if you if you don't want that to add value to our program, then just you know bash it on the head and say, oh, you know, all our best players 
it's a, it's a brain drain. It's a talent drain. You know, none of our, our next generation of players aren't getting exposure because our best players are playing in Europe. So it's this kind of, it's this balancing act that we have to play. Um, but I think like everything in life, um, you, it's about the attitude that you, that you apply and what you want to get out of it. Yeah, I, I also think, Steve, like what I'm, what I'm loving about you sharing your own experiences is that a lot of um, the excuses that we made, we've already experienced solutions to them in the past. And with the technology today that allows like um, us to get footage from club games, to watch club games even live uh, abroad, that should actually be encouraging and actually allow us to work within our limitations that, that we are presented with in terms of funding and um, international exposure to, to those more regular competitions. Having said that as well, there are many learnings from the COVID year where Australia could not travel. So they did not have international exposure, yet we've seen a very different in, um, Australian women's team. They also had internal struggles with the coach uh, being fired, you know, like, so can we also look at some of the countries that yes, their circumstances on a day-to-day -day are very different. Yes, they are contracted. Yes, they, they are all of those positives that they have in their system. But what are the learnings that we can take from them that we can apply to ours? You know, and we see that we see, we do see some of that having been applied to our men's program where a lot of the focus was on us and on our performance. And we're going to rid ourselves of the victim mentality and we're going to do what we can do and go out and show the world. And that's exactly what they did. Everybody worldwide is talking about how they lit up this tournament. And that is, that is just a hope that I have and, uh, you know, a dream that I have for our SA women that we can also take from this, not just the learnings for ourselves, but the learnings from others and apply it given our circumstances and, and not necessarily others at this tournament, but other people like yourself with the experience that you've just shared. Um, and, and we've got one year to the World Cup and we've got one year to the Commonwealth Games. We're not going to be the only team at those events that are going to struggle to have international competition. We're not going to be the only ones with limited funding because I'm telling you now, some of these teams at the Olympic Games are going to lose their funding. They didn't perform the way they should have and they're going to lose their government funding. So what, what learnings can we take and how do we rid ourselves of thinking, poor us, we didn't have, we don't have, you know, but we do have, and this is what we're going to do with what we do have. That's what I would like to see. Oh, proper director of hockey application. No, please don't. No, 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 no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Alex, you're, uh, if you're listening, uh, your wife will be working from South Africa for nine months a year. Um, she'll come see you for the EHL. But um, if he qualifies, he's, he's when, the, when he qualifies, he's got a tough job ahead of him. But yeah, I mean, let, let's go back to the women's team. And, and today, obviously, they played in 37 degrees uh, heat. They did not have a 16 player team because uh, Tati Zulu was given a one match suspension. So they weren't able to have the 16, only 15. Um, that suspension is a little bit suspicious. Can we, can we like, because I'm sure that a lot of the listeners don't understand what happened. So maybe we can 
if you don't mind, Tyron, yeah, like so, so we can explain a little I bit because listeners. So what happened was she was reported, if you remember in the Germany game, she had that moment where her stick caught the German player in the head and the player had to go get uh, stitches. Yes. So they had a DC, a disciplinary committee after yesterday's game because she was cited for dangerous play for that collision. And in untangling her stick, she acted in a way that endangered the safety of another player. And so she was given a one-match suspension um because uh you know you know what we can i can say it like this i call bullshit <laughs> like there was a clear hockey incident there was no intention i, I no. don't think there was any way for her to do things like you know okay. i would have I liked to see the yeah and maybe okay so <laughs> in in rio i was on the the appeals committee for the FIH, I was the athlete rep on the appeals committee. So what I do know from this process is that you, they do have the disciplinaries um, as soon as possible, um, but you do have a time where, you know, so you can decide if you're gonna appeal it and appealing the decision costs you money. So we won't go into that because it's a lot of money that you have to pay. But at the same time in that, uh, disciplinary you can also share your arguments and I feel that this suspension is a little too harsh considering some of the other incidents that we've seen so then I would raise the question of which none of us I think can answer besides the Argentinian guy for hitting the Spanish guy on the head have there been other suspensions for for these types of actions before and then yeah. you know so it's un it's a really uh, unfair disadvantage that it gave our team going into this game. But right. I think nice. we can also learn from the international stage of how do we handle these situations because there is a process and did, did we do everything that we could to, to make sure we had 16 today? And I like what you, what you said because Rossi, who uh, basically hit the man lying on the floor, he yes. swung his stick into a prone person on well, the Well, swung head. is a bit harsh. I mean, but he, he, he moved tapped. his stick with yes. the intention of hitting the person. Yes. Where I don't think it's ever clear that Tati had the intention no. to hurt. It was a hockey incident. Maybe she pulled it out. And maybe, I don't mind a, a slap on the wrists for that kind of thing and said, whoa, you got to be careful when your stick is up yep. there. Don't pull away. Yeah. And we and know in Rio that that happened. There were a few incidents where players got harsh warnings in a disciplinary hearing, and that was it. And and I really don't think it was necessary. And as you say, playing in 37-degree heats, we saw today uh, wet towels for the players as they were coming off, putting them on to try and keep them cool. It is blisteringly hot, and now you play with the player short. Uh, you know, that also puts you against it, but maybe maybe South Africa actually were a little bit inspired or galvanized by it um, because their performance seemed to lift, uh, you know, almost like the Springboks when they utilized the justice uh, complaints against them every time we play the Lions, apparently. <laughs> so who knows, maybe Robin will release a video this week, leak it to social media of an hour of him analyzing different decisions <laughs> and stuff. But uh, yeah, it, it, it sets things up in a bad way. But what I wanted to ask you guys is from today's game specifically, who stood out for me? Because there was a clearly a better performance, but there were definitely players that raised their game for that to happen. 
I liked the way Celia played today. I thought Celia definitely showed her experience. Um, she showed her, she's always been solid. That's We've seen her produce solid performances throughout this tournament. But I think today she showed the team that I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that we don't lose. Making sa saves off the line, you, you know, um, she was there when she needed to be there for the team. And... Um, and it, for me, she was a definite standout player. Of course, Pumi in the goals doing a, a fantastic performance yet again. Um, but um, it's almost like this is the standard that Pumi has set and you're almost expecting her to make these saves. So I'm really impressed with her performance just on in general. But today, of course, she, she kept us in the game with a fighting chance. But I was really impressed with with uh, Celia showing that spirit that um, she she has. And I think that that also gave the others energy and and equally that that fight. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you there, Marshi. Um, I, I also thought um, Glasby up front was, um, she was she was making herself available um, so that we could get the ball to her. Um, and Peyton, I also thought, had a pretty solid game in midfield. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was nice to see uh, Kristen Payton come into the, the tournament these last two games and today also step up from yesterday's performance. I thought she, she did really well. Yeah. I, I also thought uh, the, the one other player that I thought uh, deserves an individual mention for me is uh, Lerato Mahole. Um, she came into this as an uncapped player. She uh, made her debut here. She's in the under-21 squad for the, the World Cup we're hosting in Potchefstroom. And to be truthful, she looked less awed by the stage than maybe some more experienced players. And, you know, I thought today she was reading the play quite nicely. She was uh, you know, still still makes a bit of those youthful errors and stuff, but there's a player there, and, and I really hope she's treated and developed well because she looks like she could have a lot of potential. Yeah, absolutely. She she was she was just what I liked about her um, was also looking back at the whole tournament. She was also really solid. You know, she made the tackles when she needed to. She passed it to us. So when when we were struggling with our performance as a team, she was still doing the basic work really good. Like you said, for for a, a new cap and serves you and I both know your first probably 25 internationals, you you are Bambi in the headlines. So I can't imagine what you know playing your your debut at the Olympic Games must feel like. Um but I think that today she 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 grew into the tournaments which is exactly what you expect from, you know, like you grow from game one to game two as you grow in your international experience. But she said she also has set her, she's now set her base. And this is what makes it exciting for a young player to have played against some of the best players in the world and still be able to produce a solid performance and today be an impactful player for your team. Then, you know, this is your base and you've got to, you've now just got to keep growing. And just to add to that, Marshi, I think, um, you know, in, in our day where, okay, some of the bigger tournaments were televised, but, uh, you know, there wasn't social media, there weren't people yeah. analysing every single play that you've made. It must yeah. be quite frightening to actually be a young player kind of stepping onto the world stage um, kind of with this this big always-on spotlights on you. Um, but and, and to that point, I think what, what would be massively valuable, and I'm sure 
uh, hopefully the, those these conversations are happening within the team and and with the with the team management. But we we we, we I would hope that there would be some form of kind of um, discussion around support um, and mentoring, um, mostly on the psychological side, just to just to help manage it. And and again, you know, we talk about attitude um, most of the time. You know, skills something that develops uh, slowly over the course of your career. But but your attitude is it determines your performance kind of week in week out. Where it can you know one week you can or one game you can be you know on top of the world and the next game you can get knocked right back down. Um, and and I think uh, and I think yeah we we need to sort of help help our players um, with the management of and developing uh, you know that sort of that grit and that um, robustness, um, particularly in the in the world within which we live, where every single move is analysed. Everything you say is, you know, commented on. Yeah, the trolls, as they say. Yeah, that's true. I remember the first time, not to, to not to, to distract from this discussion on our woman, but I remember the first time I knew an international tournament was going to be televised, and I can't remember who was in the team at the time. And I think I said, "Oh my God!" Now it's just not the video session after the game. I'm going to have to be running all the time. Like just be running because if you're caught standing still, you know, like whenever you went into a debrief after a game, you would think you would have flashbacks of, okay, when was I standing still as a midfielder in the game? Oh dear, please don't pick that, that moment, you know? And and now you, it was suddenly televised and the first thing you're like, everybody's going to see us, not just the coach. So I have to run all the time. Um, so I can totally uh, respect what you're saying with having the, the television and, and also social media with, you know, sometimes by showing the highlights of great goals in the tournaments, when you on the defensive end of those great, great goals, you all, it doesn't really leave you feeling uh, good about yourself when we are celebrating the great goal that someone scored and it's against Team South Africa. Yeah, uh, Marshy, also there's one more, um, sorry Ty, um, yeah. to cut in there, but uh, there's also there's one great um, quote from, from Paul Revington um, in, in Athens where uh, Tane Denoya was, you know, five-time world player of the year. Yeah. Uh, he sort of, and that was, that was when Jamie Dwyer was just coming onto the scene to take over that sort of world player of the year mantle. Yeah. But uh, you know, he said he he said to, I remember specifically playing against him in the in the Dutch game, um, and say and he, and him saying to me like, don't be the post, don't be Dane Denoyer's poster boy, you know, where where you where you're you're the guys kind of you know at full stretch having just walked past you, you know. Yeah. So so yeah, I think definitely um, that uh, you know that process of um, making sure that you that you're on on top form and uh, and and you're you're never taking your foot off the, off the gas yeah there was something else that uh erin said that uh was quite interesting is that it's obviously the end of the process for some players well we're not going to speculate on any of the girls but we did get confirmation from the men's side yesterday let's have a listen to this you really are one of the senior players in the team. I mean, this is your second Olympic Games. You are getting on, though, 37 years of age. How, how are you feeling about the future and uh, the state of the team if and when you do decide that it's time to move on? Yeah, you're quite right. I've been playing for South Africa for, for quite a long time. But I think for the first time, it feels like there's really something, um, something special here. Um, you know, today was my last game for South Africa, so it's actually sad to leave the team. 
But um, I definitely, I definitely feel there's something in this team that next year you're going to see with Commonwealth Games that, you know, hopefully the boys will podium because uh, there, there's definitely a chance for the boys to to medal. Hopefully we'll get the support that we need. Um, there, there is a special bunch of guys. I mean, you can just see with our strikers, the wild dogs up front, they're scoring some unbelievable goals. Um, and and really, with the world hockey has taken some some notice of what this team has got. Uh, Absolutely. But, uh, you know, Rassi doing a proper Rassi thing and making it about the other players. But obviously news breaking overnight uh, that Rassi Peterson has hung up his gloves, his stick, his pads. Um, you know, it was planned for a year ago and then with Tokyo being delayed, he put it back. Um, Steve, uh, your thoughts on Rassi and his career with South African hockey? Sure, Jabs. Yeah, I mean, obviously a, a stalwart of this um, latest South African era and this team in particular. Uh, he's He's been an, an absolute man-mountain at the back, uh, especially this tournament. But, I mean, 162 caps as a goalkeeper is, is unbelievable feat and achievement. Um, it takes normally quite a long time, uh, you know, to get into that uh, into that into the team and, you know, make your, make yourself uh, kind of the number one keeper. And there's always competition. There's always someone trying to, trying to, trying to knock you down or knock you off um, or take your place. Uh, and yeah, Rossi has been an absolute servant of the game for, for, for South African hockey. Uh, also as a keeper, uh, when you are uh, under pressure, as you often are with a team um, of our sort of ranking, um, great goalkeepers, give South African teams the chance to compete. And if you look back over history, we've had a number of amazing, amazing keepers. Myberg definitely, I think, you know, um, in his era was undoubtedly one of the best goalkeepers in the world. Uh, we had Hibbert and Stanley Forth, um, you know, and then Rusty sort of stepped in, in there. And then we've also got some incredible talent um, sitting behind there. And we can't wait to see, you know, um, uh, the guys step up, Gowan Jones and Sia, uh, um so yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be uh, good. And Marsh, I mean, uh, you, you yourself, Steve, you both had to do it. You had to announce that retirement at some point. I mean, it's not a bad place for us to have been able to announce his retirement at the back end of the Olympics, where we got a historic victory over Germany. Uh, probably a little bit disappointing that it ended with a four-four draw with Canada, but not through his own errors. Um, so, you know. You can't really go out much better than that. Yeah, I think it's really nice for him to get the send-off that he's getting um, for, for a really um, positive change where we're able to actually give players a send-off. I think that this is really um, a special moment um, when you've sacrificed so many years and you've uh, um, probably made some life-changing decisions for for hockey. Um, I think that, you know, to be rewarded not only with a um, magnificent performance at the Olympic Games, but to be rewarded with a, a very clear and special send-off is, is really nice. Um, we can't go off and buy houses with the money we made as hockey players, but at least you know, he can at least have this special moment where the rest of the South African hockey community, but also the international hockey community can give him the respect that he deserves and also honor him for, for what he has contributed to our men's hockey 
over the years and especially in this tournament. Yeah, it, it always strikes me as an interesting thing because of the delay from COVID. You know, usually the Olympics or World Cup so is a good time to retire because it gives the next generation or the new players coming in two years before the next major tournament. That's not the case this time around. And so we know Rusty has stepped down. We suspect there will be a couple more. I won't say any names at this point, but uh, Aaron has pretty much put it out there that there will be a couple of retirements from that girl's side. There aren't uh, too many older players in that girl's side, so it uh, would be very easy <laughs> to do, do the maths. Um, the problem is it's a year from the World Cup. It's the momentum that you've got from this. It's so important that we take this momentum and we, you know, we ride it like Bianca Batendach rides waves uh, and hopefully not just to a silver medal, but to a gold one in whatever tournaments we enter. Uh, the momentum is there. Are we going to capitalize on it? And, and um, are, is, our, is our depth of squads good enough to, to take this wave and ride it? That's a tough question. My quick, my quick thoughts are, um, Jabs, is that Spring, Springs and, and, the, and the support team that he's, that, he's, that he's pulled in and brought around him um, is, I think, really been the key to, to, to success. I mean, if you, if you look back at, uh, at what he's done over the course of his career, um, he's worked with our junior guys, quite a few of whom are in this team. Um, he, he's drawn on, on, the, on the collective resource um, of our hockey community um, which which you have to do in, in in this in this country in this in this scenario, um, and I think as as a coach you always I always say like you know you don't have to worry about uh, player one to eighteen you've got to worry about players um, nineteen to to fifty six you know and obviously below so so whilst the focus and of, of a lot of what we talked about um, you know through the through this podcast series has been um, been around this the, the elite performance. Um, what you what you have to remember is that uh, we 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 reliant on 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 our on our sort of broader grassroots programs that are that are bringing talent through, um, and it's been lucky I think um, in, in in the greater scheme of things that we've got um, a strong school system, uh, we've got uh, you know our our PSI indoor um, franchise system. There's a couple of other um, franchise systems that have popped up to to kind of create strength on strength hockey, give kids um, more exposure to different coaches. Uh, and I think, you know, that's probably, um, you know, on, there's, there's some broader questions that we need to ask ourselves um, as South African hockey around how do we, how do we capitalize on what we have um, to, to improve our, our men and women's, um, call it uh, elite program. Uh, but equivalently uh, for those incumbent, um, you know, what are we, what are we doing around, around making sure that we that we have a succession plan you know they say the king is dead long live the king or the queen is dead long live the queen the same thing is true in, in, in hockey you know that so so this team is dead uh, but long live the team so so there's there's guys that have got to be sucked in um that have got to step up now um in in the absence of 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 those oldest stalwarts that have announced their retirement um and and you know for for the players that you know each player has to has to have that drive and determination, um, reset their sights, um, you know, and uh, and and have that that sort of burning desire and that focus to to keep getting better um, and contribute to to the team. Yeah, I do 
think that um, for the men's, it's, it's really exciting because we know that the squad that they have had for a really long, they had a bigger squad for, I think, a longer period than the girls did. I think the girls cut down a little earlier. Um, but I think that that's also like quite exciting. And when you look back at our men's team, if we were to select on age, probably in the last few years, not uh, even prior to Springs, we've also seen this team perform sometimes in big games or big series or big tournaments without some of the older players. And I'm talking about by age, not necessarily by experience. Um, so that I think is also promising because they have for a few years already exposed a number of players to the international stage, um, which is promising. It also, uh, you know, brings us to the fact that hopefully nothing changes, but with the Junior World Cup coming up, um, you know, there is a plan and a process and a program, and it helps that um, you've got the uh, under-21 coach with Olympic experience now um, being the assistant coach at the Olympics, going back into that under-21 program and hopefully taking those learnings um, both on and off the field um, and allowing those under-21 players to also um, understand how big that gap is and what is necessary to take those steps. So I think that is really promising for, for our men's team and, and having, you know, we're talking about Rassi because he's the only one that we know is, is retiring. Um, it's been a very competitive field for our goalkeepers and that is exciting. Uh, so while Rassi is going to be extremely missed for a number of reasons, not just what he's brought to this team on the field, but also off the field and, and what he's done for SA Hockey as well as a hold with, with his business. I think that that is, uh, we can't deny it's, it's made huge contributions to, to our hockey, but I think it's going to be exciting that it's, it's really great to know that he also had to fight for his selection into this Olympic team. That says that we've got a future once he leaves. Margie, also just add um, onto that. I think from my experiences in, in Australia um, in particular, what was very, very insightful and interesting, and we now have Dave Staniforth as part of that sort of Australian setup, yeah. is, is that um, they try and maintain consistency through these different cycles. And I think for, for South Africa, where we've been hurt is like where, you know, we didn't go to Rio. Um, you know, we, we missed uh, Sydney. Um, so, so where there's gaps, you kind of, you, you lack that continuity and the Aussies, what they do particularly well is, you know, you're, you're, even though you're, an, you're in the coaching program, your role, this, uh, cycle is, is a manager, um, you know, so, so you might come in and you start off, um, as an assistant coach, then you move into a management role, then you move into head coach role. Um, but you've been to three, three tournaments uh, and you've worked with those players all the way through. So there's that sort of cycle of of uh, longevity uh, just and and within the within the sort of seven or eight um staff you've probably had um also a fair number of those 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 coaches that are that are olympians themselves having played you know back in the days but and i'm sure the same is true in the dutch programs yeah but um I, that was something that really just struck out at me it wasn't like there was just one coach maybe one assistant coach there's there's people that are there and able to make contributions uh, you know, the, the doctor would be the goalkeeper coach at the same time type of thing. You know? Yeah. And isn't it the same in, it's similar in GB as well. Like we know Jody Paul and Revs are there and how they've both worked 
with the um, English men and ladies and under 21s and under 18s. So their experience alone, they've worked through all the, the different ranks and they're still involved. Um, so we don't see them on TV and as the main highlights at these events, but they are very much involved in the staff. Yeah, and we got Craig Fulton at uh, in Belgium in the Belgian yeah, setup. Um, yeah, there's, there's yeah, but just talking about, <laughs> but just talking about how like the just to your point of how the structures are set to have big staff so that and that you rotate so that you can come through. I think it's really it's going to um, be a huge advantage for our under twenty one men having six have this experience. Absolutely. I think uh, Six being there, the likes of Sam and Vimby scored that cracker yesterday as part of that yeah. squad. It's it's an exciting time. But the other thing that I really like, and, and we're going to have to wrap up pretty soon, um, is that, you know, COVID threw a curveball and the men took that curveball and utilized it to play a series against the under-21. I really do think that when you can't uh, get answers from inside the box, think outside the box. And I know for a fact that Gareth Ewing is uh, looking at potentially having a four-team series between the under-21s, the seniors, the uh, masters over 35 or over 40, and an SAA side. Sevs, so you're going to be there. I'm going to have to dust off my stick. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was just going to say, let's but, just start getting fit. <laughs> but, but, but what a great opportunity. And also, yeah. you know, Box smart. We know that we're going to play against the, the eight ball. So why not play with 10 men and give the over 35s so you have that experience, that, that wow, that uh, tactical nice. Give them a 12th player and, you know, play, put yourself in situations that are closer to what you will play against. Tyron, I really like it. You know what I like about it the most is that it's not reinventing the wheel. So in 2003, leading up to the Athens Olympics, we had, back then, we still used to have an SA student team being selected from SASU. I don't know if you guys remember, but, you know, like we used to choose an SA student team and we had an SAA team that used to also tour to Zimbabwe. Uh, whenever possible it wasn't always an annual tour but we used to continuously select uh, annually select an SAA side at uh, IPTs um, and our build-up to to Athens actually uh, Paula you might need to jump in because you were in that SAA side I think it was the SAA side in 2003 where we played a series against each other the and I believe the S under 21s were there as well and we um we actually ended up having some of the girls that go on to be Olympians in 2004 make come through from that SAA side. Um, and then, and then further after, you know, after Athens, I think probably six players or more came from the SAA side into the national women's team that then, you know, a large number like um, Rixie, uh, Taryn Husking, uh, Polo, Daylene also played for SAA. We had like a lot of players that then came through and went to World Cups, Olympic Games. Um, so it shows that those uh, structures work. And I'm really happy that Springs is bringing it back. Um, I think that exactly what you said, working in working within your limitations and making it work for you. So I think it's really uh, exciting. And, and like I said, it's not profound or, or reinventing the wheel. Just to yeah, add Marcia, that, it's, oh, sorry, both go. 
that that yeah, I remember that 2003 we went to the SAA side went on a tour to Zimbabwe and you know even then we didn't have the funding we wanted or needed to carry out a, a tour the way we wanted to to do it but we we would get housed by you know um, our opposition so it was really interesting also to to learn a little bit more about the um, our neighboring country and um, and then if you remember Marsh that. Um, Rosa's assistant coach was the A-side coach. Yes, so, it was Jen. And then she went on to be the national coach when, when yeah. Roz. So, with structures in place, it, it makes the whole wheel turn that yeah. much smoother. It'll never run as we want it to. It'll never be as automated as we'd like it to. But, you know, if you, if you put uh, one or two things in place, um, it, it runs a lot smoother. And, yeah, it, it was a yeah. better transition for me as a youngster, making it into, into the national side after having played in green and gold um, for the A-side. Yeah, so I'm excited to see what this brings for the boys with Springs and you as well, Sevs, seeing you on the field again. (laughs) (laughs) Been a while. (laughs) Yeah, guys, thank you very much for joining. It's been an absolute pleasure. The South African Challenge is over at uh, Tokyo, but the tournament still has some time and we will be chatting a bit more talking Tokyo. Maybe not as... uh, uh, as every day, so we can get a little bit of sleep, but uh, probably a bit more than we originally planned. Uh, look forward to the rest of the games. Um, and last one, just a quick word from one other person. Hi, it's Dan Bauer here. Thank you for listening to Talking Tokyo on Hockey the Podcast. You said it perfectly. Jeez, you've upped your game, eh, Jabs? Yeah. Yep. Very impressed. Eh? There we go. There we go. I, I, I kind of realized technology is here. So why have I not used this? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. And uh, stay safe. And we'll see you in the quarterfinal round. Enjoy the hockey. Yeah. Cheers.